All right, well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. And uh, as we begin the second week of Advent, you've probably been at least somewhat uh, busy preparing for this Advent season, this Christmas season. And so to kind of check and see where we're at in our preparations, we're going to do kind of what we did a couple weeks ago, where we do a little test by everyone who can, if you would stand up, please. Okay, so here we go with some question and answers. If, if you have not completed your decorations at your house, sit down. If you've not completed the decorating that you're going to do at your house, sit down. Yeah, I, I, I would be sitting down as well, but I've got to stay standing. I'm learning all about our procrastinators today. All right, if you have not finished purchasing presents, sit down. Man, now, now I'm learning about like our really organized people. We've got some very organized, ahead of the game people here. Okay, if you have not yet finished your Christmas cards, sit down. Okay. All right, a couple of people. Awesome. All right, so for all of you standing, all you get here is a round of applause. So that's it. Okay, you can be seated. You can be seated. And for everybody else who was sitting, which was everyone except for five people, we obviously all have a lot of preparation to still do. We have a lot of preparation to still do. And it's that idea of preparation that our second candle of Advent, the Bethlehem candle, is all about. That's what it stands for. That's what it signifies. It's all about preparing and helping us to remember, preparing our hearts to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, to celebrate the good news of great joy that has come into the world for all the people. For unto us has been born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so that's exactly what I want to do today. I want to help us prepare our hearts to celebrate the first advent of Christ and prepare our hearts for the second advent of Christ when he comes again. And so to that end, all right, in addition to the prophecy candle that we lit last week, this week we have the Bethlehem candle, which again is all about Preparation. There we go. The Bethlehem candle. So we have the prophecy candle we lit last week. The Bethlehem candle that we are lighting this week. And just as we can see, you know, this, this light that's coming off of the Bethlehem candle. So that candle helps us to see some things. As we think about Bethlehem, as we use it as a lens through which to kind of think about the Christmas story. It helps us see a couple of things, three in fact, that I don't think we, we might not see if we didn't look through the lens of Bethlehem. Something about the Father, something about the Son, and something about ourselves. And so as we think about the Bethlehem candle this morning, we're going to think about those three things. Three things that the Bethlehem candle helps us to see. And the first one is this. It helps us to see the sovereign power of God. 
right? So number one in your notes, if you want to take notes, see the sovereign power of God. And we're going to be pretty quick here because John hit on this a good bit last week when he was talking about the prophecy candle and how God had promised, just as Steve read a few minutes ago, 700 years before the birth of Christ, that he would be born in Bethlehem. And so as Steve read out of Micah 5, listen again. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days." All right, and so this is showing us that Jesus as a human, yes, he had a beginning. He was born in Bethlehem, but Jesus as God, second person of the Trinity, he did not have a beginning. He is eternal. He's not a created being. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, deity, unity, And the word was with God. So distinction, right? So the Holy Trinity, one God, three persons, unity, deity with distinction. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's what we sing. That's the Trinity. It's coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And then Micah kind of combines some aspects of the first advent and the second advent. He kind of condenses them into one. In verses 3 through 5, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth. And then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. And so right there, verse 2, at the very beginning, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, it is promised that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. 700 years. The Messiah will come from Bethlehem. If you know the Christmas story, you know that Mary and Joseph are not from Bethlehem. They're from Nazareth, 90 miles away. And so how is Jesus going to be born in Bethlehem? Listen to the opening verses of Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes 
and laid them in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so how did this happen? How did it happen that he was born in Bethlehem? It happened by the sovereign power of God. See, the census isn't coincidence. God, sovereign power of God, influenced the Roman pagan emperor to order a census and thus bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem at just the right time for the Savior of the world to be born there just as God had promised 700 years previously. See, God in His sovereign power keeps His promises. And so let that be an encouragement to you this morning. We should be encouraged by that. There's never been, ever, a promise that God did not keep. Ever. And there won't ever be one. Because one, God can't lie. And two, He has absolute sovereignty over and absolute power in his creation, his universe. And so it is impossible for God not to keep his promises. And we need to make sure we understand his promises. His promises are to us in his word, not necessarily what we think he might be promising to us. If we're ever, well, I thought he said this to me. That's you, not God. And so when you think about Bethlehem, When you see the Bethlehem candle, see also and think also about the sovereign power of God to accomplish his purposes. The the census was not coincidental. God said, want him in Bethlehem. Hey, you, you're going to order a census. He has no clue why he's doing it. He thinks he's just doing it for himself to reap the glory for himself. Look how many people I rule over. And God said, no, I'm going to. Show my glory by becoming one of my people. And so when you see the Bethlehem candle, see also the sovereign power of God. Let it remind you of that. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. See also the humility and love of Christ. See the humility and love of Christ. This is also what Bethlehem shows us. And it does this in a couple of ways. In both like the insignificance of this little town as well as the inconvenience of how Jesus was born there. See, Bethlehem's not like a a big-time city. If you have a background in Christianity, you hear of Bethlehem and you think, you know, wow, that's like a big city. It's really important where Jesus was born, right? But it's not some kind of big-time city. Even today, 40,000 people live in Bethlehem. Now, it's in the West Bank today. It's still 40,000 people. That's it. It's not a big-time city. In fact, it's, in a lot of ways, a very insignificant city. Hugely overshadowed by Jerusalem, which is just six miles away. And yet, God chooses to bring the magnificent Messiah out of this town. Why? Well, one answer is what we talked about. The Messiah is of the lineage of David. Got to go... David's a, you know, city of David. Bethlehem's the city of David. So that's part of it. 
But if you have your Bibles open, I want you to look at Micah 5 again, verse 2, and see, like, because that's not the point that Micah 5 is highlighting. Micah 5 highlights something else. Listen to what it highlights. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. So, so listen, look at the emphasis there. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, and so notice the, the whole point there in verse 2 is that Bethlehem is small. Not that it's great because David was born there. Okay, The, the, the point is that God chooses something small, something quiet, out of the way, and does something there that changes the course of history and eternity. And is this not just vintage Yahweh? It's how he works. See, God does not bestow the blessings of the Messiah, the blessing of salvation on the basis of greatness or our merit or our achievements. He does not elect cities or people because of their prominence or their grandeur or their distinction. When he chooses, he chooses freely in order to magnify the glory of his own mercy, not the glory of human deeds. That's like Paul said in our New Testament reading earlier. The values and the principles and the ideas that this world holds dear are not the same values that God holds dear. The world looks at peoples and, and, and places of power and prestige. But God displays His power by using the insignificant people and places of this world to accomplish His plan of salvation. Places like Bethlehem. A small and insignificant town in the shadow of the much larger and more important city of Jerusalem. And people like Mary, an unmarried teenage girl. These are the tools that God uses in his plan of salvation. And friends, that, what hope that, that is for us. Because we too, just like Mary, are people broken by sin. We too are people who are hindered by our own shortcomings and thoughts of our insignificance. And yet God continues to use us to accomplish His plans today. And so when you think of Bethlehem, think of how God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, and chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Friends, be encouraged. God most commonly works through the day by day, week by week, decade by decade, faithfulness 
of unsung heroes. That is how God most commonly works. And we highlight and we think about some big heroes, absolutely. But the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints year by year for 2,000 years by common unsung heroes living for Christ. This is how God works. And so be glad and be happy about how God has chosen to work in your life. Don't wish you were someone else. He doesn't need something. He's already got them. He needs you in your sphere of influence, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your gym, to do your part in this grand scheme that he is up to of redeeming the world back to himself. And so the humility of Christ, the love of Christ, it's highlighted by the insignificance of the town of Bethlehem. But it's also highlighted by the inconvenience and in some ways inhospitality of Bethlehem. Because, I mean, think about it. Mary's pregnant, right? She's pregnant. And like, we'll put it in football terms because everybody was watching the SEC championship yesterday. When you go past 37 weeks in a pregnancy, that's called the red zone, right? It's like being inside the 20, right? You're about to score. The touchdown is about to happen, right? That's what's about to happen. Past 37 weeks, that's the red zone, okay? That's Mary. She's past 37 weeks. She is in the red zone. And over the last several months, we've had two babies born into our congregation. Angela gave birth to David. And Alicia recently recently gave birth to Nora. If you haven't met David or Nora, then you need to. They are both incredibly cute. And I haven't really talked to that. I did tell Angela just a minute ago, hey, I'm going to talk about you in the sermon, though you don't know it. So I haven't asked them about this. I just informed Angela when I saw her. But I can guarantee you that neither one of those ladies would have wanted to take a 90-mile, multi-day donkey ride in the red zone, right? They would not have wanted to do that. It would not have been comfortable. It would not have been convenient, yet that's what Mary did. Right? I mean, Mary and Joseph, if you think about it, if you've ever had a baby or been around, kids who, or been around people who are about to have a baby, you're trying to get ready for the birth of that child. You're trying to make preparation, right? That's what we're talking about, preparation. And so Mary's probably back in Nazareth, full-on nesting mode, right? She's trying to get everything ready for that. Joseph's probably fighting to not cuss in putting together this crib that just won't go together. They're, they're baby-proofing everything. All that's going on. They're excited. And then, boom, census. Got to go to Bethlehem. Not a convenient time. And so notice, like, pull all these little strings that are out there hanging, all, all these little insignificant in, inconvenience, all these factors of those things coming together. Bethlehem, right? Tiny little town. Mary's in the red zone. Not a good time to travel. A seemingly random census comes from Caesar, forcing them to travel. And when they get there, it's not calm and serene like we so often think about with Bethlehem at Christmas time. No, it's, in, it's incredibly crazy. 
Why? Census. There's tons of people in the town. It's busting at the seams because David, man of God, but he had some problems with women. He's got a ton of descendants, right? So it's busting at the seams with people to the point that there's nowhere to stay. There's nowhere for them to lodge. And no one would even give up a room for a lady who's about to give birth. Let alone birth to the long-awaited one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, God incarnate, Emmanuel with us. And it's in this way that our Savior came into the world in humility, in an insignificant, inconvenient, and inhospitable little town. Let your mind just kind of dwell on the majesty of Christ in the midst of His humility, leaving the eternal glories of heaven and coming down and taking the form of a human, being born in human form, becoming a man, and not coming to the great cities of the day, Rome or Alexandria or even Jerusalem, and not being born in a palace, but coming to the little town of Bethlehem and being born in a stable. Christ didn't choose a comfortable, well-appointed setting for His arrival just as He doesn't choose to make His dwelling in us because we are comfortable and well-suited. But He does so out of grace and love. Makes His home in us. And that's good news because every single person in this room is just as unfit to be a home for the Savior as Bethlehem was. And yet, he came to Bethlehem. And he calls to each one of us. Whether we're prepared or not. Whether we're well suited or not. He says, let me be, take home. Let me take residence. Let me be born in you. Do you see the love of the Father for you in this? I mean, whether it is the wood of the manger he was laid on or the wood of the cross he was hung on, both of these are flesh and blood pledges of God's love for you. And so through the lens of the Bethlehem candle, see the humility of Christ, see the love of Christ, the depth of his love. The links to which he would go to redeem you. I mean, in your own life, you just think about all the circumstances and factors that have flowed to bring you to this place and how he has worked in your life. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his love. Remember that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Always. Even to the ends of the age. And so number one from the Bethlehem candle, see the, the sovereign power of God. Number two, see the humility and love of Christ. And then the third thing I think we should see in Bethlehem is this. I think we should see a picture of our heart. 
Number three, I think we should see a picture of our heart. Phillips Brooks is the author of the great hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And he wrote it in 1868, so not long after the Civil War. And he's a pretty fascinating guy. For those of you who maybe have ever read about preaching, which is probably like three of us, that's, he, he's the guy who first coined the phrase, uh, preaching is truth through personality. That comes from him. He's the guy who preached Abraham Lincoln's funeral. So this is who Phillips Brooks is. Fascinating guy if you read about him. Never married. Single for life. Faithful man of God. But anyhow, in, his, in, in the carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, he includes this line. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in be born in us today. That's what I mean by seeing Bethlehem as a picture of our heart. We need Christ to be born in us just as Christ was born in Bethlehem. We need Christ to be born in us. And for some of you, that means trusting Jesus for salvation. Being what Jesus called born again. A, admitting that you're a sinner. B, believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And by his life, death, and resurrection, you can be made right with God. And C, by confessing him to be your Lord and your Savior. Okay, Putting your hope and your faith and your trust in him and in him alone to be what makes you right with God. And then following him. That's what it means if he is Lord. It means he's king. That means you seek to follow him. And he, won't, he who won't have Jesus as Lord can't have Jesus as Savior. They go together. It doesn't mean you're perfect. But you seek to follow. Repenting all the way. And so if you've never trusted Christ, do so today. That's the whole point of Christmas. God and sinners reconciled. He came to save his people from their sin. Matthew chapter 1. That's why he came. And so trust him. He loves you. He's for you. It's why he came. Trust him. But then this idea of Christ being born in us today is also needed for believers. Because while, yes, you have been born again, and while Christ, yes, lives inside of you, very often things kind of practically crowd Him out of our lives. And outside of just wanting to escape hell, we functionally live like Bethlehem and throw up a no vacancy sign. You can't invade this area of my life. There's no room in the end of my heart over here for you. This is mine. You stay out of this part. Friends, is that you? Are there areas in your heart that are off limits to Christ? There's no vacancy for him there where you will not welcome him in. There's no room in the end. 
have things of this world, even good things, hear that, even good things, pushed Christ to the peripheral of your heart instead of the center. I mean, maybe even during this Advent time, this Christmas time, have thoughts of family gatherings and all that has to be done or the disappointment of the lack of family gatherings. Have they pushed the main point of Christmas to the side? Has the hustle and bustle and the gifts and the concerts and the kids' events and the work events and this and that and the other, which are all good things, but have they rendered virtually no room in the end of your life or the end of your calendar for the whole point of this season? This is why we need to heed the Bethlehem candle and prepare our hearts again. And so what I want to do now is just take a couple of minutes of silent prayer to repent of how very often all manner of things find room in the end of our hearts. But for Christ, we throw up the no vacancy sign. We throw it up when it comes to living for Him, following Him, obeying Him, and living as His disciple. Too often there's no room in our hearts for that. And so let's take a couple of minutes of silent repentance. And maybe for some of you, you're going to ask Christ in these moments to be born in you today. And then maybe for others of you to be rekindled in your heart. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, listen to these words, even as you contemplate your own life in Christ. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sweep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years 
are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive Him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. Our gracious God and ever-blessed Father, we thank you for this wonderful time, this gift of gathering together and contemplating your glory in and through lowly Bethlehem. Father, encourage our hearts as we remember your sovereign power, as we remember the humility and love of Christ, and as we contemplate our hearts in being a home for you. And lead us to repentance for our consistency in throwing up the no vacancy sign in certain areas. And Father, for those who have had up a no vacancy sign on their hearts for a long time, Father, I pray you would tear that down and truly be born in them today. And Lord, for all of us, we pray that as we continue through Advent season, that we might truly come to know Jesus Christ deeper and deeper. His love, His grace, His kindness, and His call of follow me. And Father, may we truly seek to be less worried about other people and putting Christ back into Christmas and be more worried to make sure that Christ is present and visible in our lives this Christmas. This is some of the preparation we need, Lord. That just as Jesus is the light of the world, we would shine like lights pointing to him and not dim our lights by not acting like we ask this in Christ's name.